Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is John Sego. I serve as an elder working with our middle school and high school youth. Quite an adventure here in our congregation and abroad. <laughs> this is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Worker God, whose hands have molded the earth and given good things which we don't deserve, graft into our hearts the love of your name. Create in us a compelling awareness of your unmerited grace and enable us to live under its power. Through the presence of your gracious spirit, work in us to enable our words and deeds to issue in good works, and through your power to love others as you have loved us. We thank you for this unspeakable gift of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Would you stand with me as we begin our worship? We are here to worship our remarkable God. We don't come as outsiders, but as much wanted children. So let us enter into worship as the joyful, the eager, the thankful, the recipients of amazing grace, knowing that the love of God emboldened us, the grace of Christ redeems us, the joy of the Spirit uplifts us. Praise be to God. Let us worship together.
God is ever more ready to hear than we are to pray. God's love surrounds us at all times, and God is always ready to forgive us when we pray, asking for his forgiveness. Counting on that much love of God, let us pray our confession together. Eternal and everlasting God, we bow our heads before you and confess that all too often we forget we are your children. At times we live our lives as if you don't exist and we fall short of being credible witnesses of your love and grace. For the times we have failed you, we ask for your forgiveness. We pray that you would help us see you in the moment-by-moment -moment opportunities that you grant us. Help us to live honestly, to act courageously, and to speak your truth in the midst of a broken world. Clear our minds and open our hearts so that we may be faithful to you in everything we say and do. We ask all this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God have heard our prayers and God have granted us forgiveness and made us anew. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Forgiven sinners, let us affirm our faith together in reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us take a moment or three to greet one another in Christ's name. Good morning, dear. 
I hope you're having the beginning of a good Labor Day weekend. Did you know that Labor Day was formed 107 years ago? And if you happen to be an athlete or a ball fan, baseball fan, or from Chicago, that's the last time the Cubs won the World Series as well. <laughs> well, we're glad you decided to worship with us. Thank you. This is kickoff time. Last week, of course, we started with our kickoff uh, uh, in our programs, and I want to thank all of the staff and the volunteers who uh, participated in and made kickoff Sunday a wonderful time, and those who prayed that the weather would hold off, your prayers were mightily answered. And then uh, coming up now, another kickoff, and that's Family Promise. Family Promise, if you recall, is uh, us coming together to provide food and shelter and support for homeless families. And we have an opportunity to play a critical role to get these families back on their feet. And we do need some volunteers for the week of September the 13th to uh, help run the program. You'll notice it in your Connect magazine. By the way, does everyone have a copy and has read your Connect magazine? I hope you have, because you haven't, there are some copies back there <coughs> as well. And then, <coughs> Uh, we're starting a, a new uh, season for singles. <clears throat> Koinonia for Singles will be meeting this coming Monday, and actually Monday the 21st, and uh, uh, this is a wonderful time to have discussion that's age-based, and uh, feel free to see Carolyn or Bengi, my two compatriots, uh, for further details. And then uh, our youth group kickoff is coming September the 9th, Wednesday, from 6.30 to 8.00 and uh, parents we want you to join your students if you happen to have students left at home and uh, be sure to pick up uh, uh, a, uh, a plan that you will receive that particular evening and again uh, i mentioned connect magazine uh, there are all kinds of ways to say in connection with our church uh, i don't know how many of you are uh, uh, social media savvy but you can pick up all kinds of uh, information on live stream, which I hope you all use from time to time, the website, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can have the Church of the Palms surrounding you with information at all times, and we encourage you to take advantage of that. And finally, uh, a, a sad note, uh, uh, Bill Kelly passed away last night, and uh, uh, his service will be here Wednesday at uh, 2.30 in the sanctuary. And now we're going to ask the ushers to come forward and to lead us in the giving of tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. O Lord, giver of life and source of freedom, we know that all we have received is from your hand. We give you thanks, gracious and loving Father, that you give us the privilege to be stewards of your abundance, the caretakers of your creation. Help us to always use your gifts wisely and to share them generously. May our faithful stewardship bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ to people near and far for your honor and glory. We pray with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and now we invite the children to come forward for the children's moment with Carol Hellmeister. Boy, these are heavy. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, guys. Scoot on in. I brought a lot of books today. Come on up. How's school going? Good. Do you guys have books at school? Yeah. Do you got to read a lot of stuff? Yeah. So I brought these books because there's a bunch of books that I want to read. Some of these books I have read and some of these books I have to read. So what would happen if you guys read all the books that you have at school and all the books that you have at home? and all the books that you want to read. Well, that'd be crazy. And what happens if you were to remember every single thing that you read in all of those books? Oh my gosh, you would have a lot of knowledge, wouldn't you? Yeah, but, um, so you would have a lot of knowledge, but you wouldn't necessarily be wise, would you? Hmm. So do you guys know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? So knowledge, I gotta put these down. Whew. Knowledge is what we get up here, right? This is what we remember up here, but wisdom is what we remember up here and what we do with that knowledge, we use it in our everyday life. So there are some people that have a lot of knowledge about Jesus and his teachings and they use it in their everyday life. They go to church, and they pray, and they read their Bible, and they, um, they follow those Ten Commandments, right? And then there are some people that um, they don't also know a lot about Jesus and his teachings, but they don't always put it into practice. You know what Jesus says? He says, the people that do good works and follow their knowledge and live with it and, and use it every day, those people are wise. They are wise like the wise man who builds his house on a rock. And when the storm comes and the rains fall and the winds blow, his house stays firm on that rock. It doesn't fall. And he says, Jesus also says, the guy who doesn't really use his knowledge to do good works for Jesus He's like, the, he's, like, um, he's like a foolish guy. He's like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storm came and the rain fell and the winds blew, his house fell flat. It crumbled. I think some of you guys have heard this story that Jesus tells in the Bible about the wise man and the foolish man and when they build their house. And we're going to learn more about that in kids' worship today. 
and we're going to play a cool game. But what we want to do is we want to take that knowledge and we will be wise to use that knowledge and take God's word and put it in our own life and use it every day. And you know what? In this book right here in the Bible, it says, it says in James 1, verse, um, cha uh, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, don't just listen to the word. You fool yourselves if you do that. You must do what it says. So Jesus wants us, he tells us that he wants us to be doers of his word, not just hearers. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to learn and know what you taught. But more importantly, we want to have the wisdom to take what you taught and do it in our own lives. Amen. Get these. <laughs> Come on. Our first reading is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, where Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with his laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And when he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go to the vineyard. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard called to his manager and said, get the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the same usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last only worked one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in a scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And then from the epistle of uh, the Colossians to them, chapter 3, verses 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. 
worker God, whose hands built the earth and molded our bodies and sowed the stars across the sky. Touch us with your words and presence, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be inspired by you, our creator and our sustainer. Amen. Let's set the scene. After following Jesus all over the countryside, dodging over enthusiastic crowds and mixing strangers uh, and other interesting people following Jesus, and just having heard Jesus declare that rich people might not make it into the kingdom, the disciples were getting a little anxious. If, as Jesus indicated, it's hard to get into the kingdom, then they wanted to know what their full-time commitment to follow him meant. Did it mean anything to Jesus? Did Jesus truly understand their sacrifice for him? Was there any reward for leaving everything to follow him? So Peter asked that very familiar question, Master, for those of us who have left everything and followed you, what then will there be for us? The old familiar question, what's in it for me? On the surface, a fair question, don't you think? And Jesus replied, you who have followed me will sit on the 12 jewel thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Don't you worry, Peter, everyone who left their loved ones for me will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Ooh, Peter must have thought, relieved and affirmed. Oh, but there's one more thing to mention, Jesus adds. Many who are first will be last, and the last <clears throat> will be first. And let me tell you how that works, and then Jesus launched into the parable that uh, we read earlier. We could all put ourselves, couldn't we, in the place of those who showed up early, worked hard all day. And I am sure we have all had the experience of knowing people who, in our opinion, neither earned or deserved what they got. A job, a promotion, a raise, recognition, success that we worked longer and tried harder seemed to make no difference. Our reaction might be typical to this one, right? It's not fair when things like this happen, especially after giving years of faithful service. It's not fair that those less deserving get more recognition. It's tempting to view our world and ourselves and others through the lens of fairness, isn't it? Not not that that uh, is a light thing. Fairness has mattered ever since we were little kids. Having a level playing field was really important, especially for those who, of us who were competing. You watch a bunch of children play, and it won't be long before you hear someone say, that's not fair. I remember some of my childhood reactions about fairness, like when my mother would put 10 lima beans on my dinner plate, but my sister only had to eat six. <clears throat> I counted those beans very carefully. And I suspect that you too, in some way, have counted lima beans in your life. Deep down, there's something in us that wants fairness. We like fairness. I think because it gives us an assurance of order and predictability and control. Shouldn't fairness be based on what we deserve? how hard we work, what we achieved, 
or did not achieve? If we behaved, we got a reward. If we didn't, we also got a reward, punishment. And it was only fair. And after all, the final analysis, that's fair, right? In the worldview, that is fair. We live in a wage-based society in which we deserve, we earn, and we receive the consequences, good or bad, of what we do. So that brings us to these workers who came on at 9, 12, 3, and 5 o'clock, and they received the same wage as those <clears throat> who had been working since 6 a.m. Now, how does that fit? Well, in a wage-based world, it sure doesn't. <clears throat> I played football in high school, a decision given the continuation of my ankle and knee injuries, which you've noticed from time to time in my limping, uh, I might have uh, had a different uh, view back then of playing. But at any rate, uh, our quarterback was not very good. We were in a kind of a rural school, and uh, he was not good, but he was also the coach's pet. He had an interesting name, which made a great play on words when we wanted to tease him, Claude Hopper. Say that fast, and you'll understand uh, uh, how we had fun. He would show up late for practice. And often when a play in the game would go wrong because his timing was bad, the rest of us in the backfield would get chewed out by the coach. As we all saw it, that was not our fault and it was definitely not fair. But here is Jesus himself offering a parable that would seem to defend the very definition of fairness. From a human perspective, we can understand why those earlier workers, as our text says, grumbled against the landowner. They had a point. It would have never occurred to you or me that when we're driving past the labor pool late in the afternoon, uh, that the few standing around and getting hired would get the same pay as those who were hired in the morning. No, fairness means getting what's rightfully coming to us based on the order and predictability of our timetable. <clears throat> At our best, we think of ourselves as fair-minded people who believe that people should get what they deserve, don't we? And that's good. There's a lot of press today about a fair wage. And even though we might not agree with the suggested amounts, whether CEOs at the top or laborers at the lower end, I think we'd all agree that it's only fair that a decent wage be paid for the work that is done. I heard a conversation at a restaurant a few weeks ago in which one of the diners was complaining about the unfairness of a decision made by his company to which his table mate said, trying to be helpful, whoever said life would be fair? I thought about that. <clears throat> and when someone has said that to me, that doesn't really bring a lot of comfort. So what is Jesus' message here? Is he downplaying the value of work? <clears throat> Telling us that good and hard work has no virtue in our economy, that how long we work and what we get paid or aim for equal pay for equal work is of little interest to him? No, none of this is what Jesus is telling us because other verses in the Bible commend the value of hard and honest work. And as important as these issues can be and worthy of discussion, Jesus is talking here about something way more than a landowner's practice in hiring laborers 
and what he chooses to pay them. There's something intriguing and even troubling about this parable that so bluntly challenges the way we in our society seem to operate. <clears throat> Here is Jesus drawing a picture of God and how he views the world and our lives. Rather than seeing human fairness as the ultimate measure by which his followers act or judge other people or their own life circumstances, God introduces us to wor a world where grace is a priority, where generosity, love, acceptance, mercy, forgiveness are far more important. And if you look at it still as a contest, in God's economy, grace, which is the unmerited favor of God, always trumps human fairness. Could it be that the degree to which this parable strikes one as unfair is the degree to which his or her view is wage-based? A wage-based worldview knows little about the last being first and the first being last. A wage-based view rather says that the last are last and the first are first because they deserve it. It's what's fair. But in God's realm, a wage-based view leaves little room for grace. In God's world, grace is the rule, not the exception. Grace looks beyond our productivity. Grace looks beyond our appearance, our dress, our ethnicity, our accomplishments, our failures. Grace recognizes that there is more to us and who we are than what we have done or left undone. Grace reverses business as usual. Grace reminds us that we're not nearly <coughs> as self-sufficient, deserving or independent as a wage-based view would lead us to believe. Nor is our worth determined solely by our productivity <clears throat> or usefulness. Grace does not justify or excuse discrimination. Rather, grace holds before us the truth that each person is more than their behavior, their accomplishments, or their failures. Wages reveal human effort. Grace reveals the goodness of God. Wages make distinction and separate. Grace seeks unity and inclusion. <clears throat> Wages are based on merit. Grace just happens. The only precondition of grace is that we show up and open ourselves to receive what God is giving and doing. And when we do that, we might see our lives, our worlds, and our neighbors a little bit differently. But wait. Let's look at this story from another angle and let's assume a wage-based point of view for the moment. Let's ask ourselves, what if we're not where God thinks we are in line? What if we were hired last? What if despite our confidence and hard work, we're not where we think we are? Now, if that is true, that is great news. Then the landlord's actions are the best news we've received. His actions are generosity beyond our wildest dreams, actions that are indiscriminate of our status. This, folks, is good news. I like the way Barbara Brown Taylor puts it. Depending on where you are in line, that can sound like powerfully good news. Because if God doesn't act by our standards of fairness, then there's a chance we may get paid more than we're worth. 
that we'll get more than we deserve, that we'll make it through the doors even though we're last in line, <clears throat> not because of who we are, but because of who God is. That, folks, is grace, and that's great news. What we find in the Bible over and over again are stories of a different justice, a different welcome, a different way of ordering our lives, not by merit, but by grace. Now think about it. In this parable, the landlord is right. The early and late comers are not that different from one another. Neither group owned the vineyard. Both groups needed a job. And both were chosen and invited in by no effort of their doing. There is something, however, that distinguishes the first hired from the later hired. Not what time they showed up for work, but the terms under which they entered the vineyard. The first hired entered the vineyard only after agreeing to the usual daily wage. They got what they bargained for. It appears now that they settled for too little. They shortchanged themselves. <clears throat> Apparently the landowner was willing to pay more than the usual daily wage. But in their wage-based view, they had a standard now of fairness and expectation of the landlord. More for us? less for them. We're different from and we're more deserving than they are. It's not fair to make them equal to us. Perhaps not, but that's grace. But notice, the workers who came in at nine, noon, three, and even five, <clears throat> they did not negotiate for a wage. They entered the vineyard trusting that they would be paid whatever is right. Whatever is right was not determined by the first hired, but by the goodness of the landowner. Those hired later received more than they earned, more than they deserved, more than they had a right to ask or hope for. You got the point, right? That's just what God does. Whatever is right is not about fairness. It's about grace. <clears throat> well, at this point in their journey with Jesus, the disciples hadn't quite grasped this non-logical view of, of grace. They did not yet understand that they don't earn the rewards they expected, though Jesus was very generous with them. They were still jockeying for position, trying to earn Jesus' favor. But thank the Lord, later on the truth began to dawn on them, and it was encapsulated by Peter, who was the one who asked Jesus in the first place, what's in it for me, who later in his first epistle writes, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter knew that whatever is right will always be more than fair, more than we could ask or imagine. He knew that he didn't need to settle for the usual daily wage when God wanted to give him whatever is right for his life, his needs, and his salvation. As Louis Leon puts it, in a world of grace, we don't wish to beat out other people, but we instead pray for mercy. Not to outperform, but to serve others. Not to win over other religions, but to live ours out very well. Not to worry about someone getting away with something and still being rewarded. For we ourselves are getting away with something and we're still being rewarded. Not to broadcast where we are right and others are dreadfully wrong, but how to live out our calling in grace-filled humility 
and then it'll dawn on us how joyful life can become by understanding that the gift of God's grace rather than the reward for work is a wonderful blessing far beyond what we could earn. Now, I think you can see the troubling part of this parable. It's the choice that Jesus lays upon us to live our lives not in self-justification or to live our lives uh, in expectation, but to live our lives responding to God's unfair, ridiculous, world-altering generosity, to jockey not for position, but to trust in God's generosity, to not ask what number am I in line, but to open our hearts in thankfulness that we are in line and for the generosity that God has bestowed upon us. On this Labor Day weekend Sunday, I think it is good for us to ask, to what degree am I living a wage-based life rather than stepping into the vineyard of grace? What space am I creating for my heart for the grace to emerge? What expectations about what we deserve need to be released? Will I trust God with the freedom to pay whatever is right, knowing that his ways are not my ways? Can you imagine if we let go of comparison and competition, expectation and judgment, what would happen? Our lives would be more God-filled, we would make more space for the lives of others to be God-filled. Our environment, as this parable tells us, would look a lot more like the kingdom of heaven. So may we remember this, dear folks, as we experience God's grace anew in a moment by entering into the sacrament of communion. May God bless his holy word.
Friends, this is the Lord's table. We are all welcome by our Lord Jesus to come and feast at this table. The scripture says people will come from the north and west and east and south to feast at the table of the Lord. So have we. In the night of his arrest, our Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks to God, he broke it. and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and remember me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus also took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant, shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So every time we eat this bread, and we drink this cup. We proclaim the death of our risen Lord until he come, and he will come again. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, creator and ruler of the universe, you are our greatest joy. To you we offer our thanks and praise. In your wisdom you made all things new, you formed us in your image. You put us in this world to love and serve you. You call us to live in peace with your whole creation. When we turned from you, you did not reject us, but in Christ, you still claimed us as your own. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to the body of Christ in the world. Hear us as we pray for others. We pray for those who are sick, grieving or crushed by war. We especially remember Pam Kelly and her family as they mourn for the death of Bill. We pray for refugees and those who receive and care for them. We pray for those in places where people are hungry and confused and abused or neglected. We pray for soldiers and missionaries whose service take them away into danger. Grant your mercy of safe travel to all those who are on our roads and in the air during this holiday weekend, we pray. We pray, O oh God, that you will fulfill your eternal purpose in us and in all the world, through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. We ask this prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And Jesus took bread.
Shall be till I 
Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you sought us through your Son and brought us safely home. We are grateful, O God, that you have refreshed us at your holy table alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe and down through the ages. May we who have experienced the grace and generosity of your gifts here today Bring the refreshing light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others wherever we may go. In his name we pray. Amen.
wish you all a very good Labor Day tomorrow. As you enjoy the fruits of your work, past and present, also put a little note of grace in your heart. And now, may the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and on into this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.